0: Well I'll say good morning again it's so good to see you today you're good looking people I'll tell you what i and and I want you to know that youpers are tougher than anyone in the world okay I'm just telling you there there man there were there were i it, i'm just so impressed um yesterday um our youngest Isaac was snow blowing the driveway and and he's getting his his stuff on and he <laughs> He, he said to me before he walked out the door, he said, this is the dumbest winter ever. <laughs> so welcome to this dumb winter. <laughs> several years ago, and, and I want to share a little of my own story this morning, but I want to move out of that in just a moment. But several years ago, I began a new activity in my life, something that I really enjoyed. I've, I mentioned it before, but I started running. And there's three aspects to running that I have found uh, you, you really need to love them all if you're going to love running. And the first one is your daily short run. you got, you got to love it. If you're going to love running, you got to love the daily short run. Uh, but then there's this weekend Saturday thing, and it just works best for me on Saturday mornings. But you gotta do this Saturday long run, okay? If you're gonna love running, you gotta love that Saturday long run. And for me, that takes place on the lake shore usually, as I run, uh, generally from somewhere near South Beach out around the island and back. And it just, I, I just love it with the sun coming up over the lake. It's just beautiful. But then there's the third aspect that I've really fallen in love with, and, and I've fallen in love with it with a number of you, uh, and that is race day, okay? You, if you love running, you lo- I just, I, I love race day, okay? I get excited for race day, and, and so that's been something that I've, I've enjoyed, and, and then uh, this last fall, uh, I had to rehab from an injury, I had plantar fasciitis, and it was just really bothering me. And then it started bugging me in my knee. There's a term for it. I could ask Brian Miller. He's right over there, and he would tell us the term. But they just call it runner's knee for all of us lay people. Uh, But but I I was getting rehabbed, and and Brian was working on me uh, for several months. And and so I I didn't get to run throughout the, the fall and into the early winter. So I was starting to feel better, the rehab's working, and I'm starting to think, you know what, I can, I can start doing something. And it was a Thursday, and all day long on Thursday, I had this thought in my mind. I said, I need to get to Zumba. Now, that may seem like a, a, a very strange thought, but the winter before, I had gone to Zumba on Thursdays because it kind of broke up the, the training in the wintertime, you know, and, and it was it was fun, and, and my daughter Becca, um, who dances, I don't know where she got that ability, uh, but she is an incredible dancer. She loves Zumba, so we would go to Zumba together, and, and Zumba class, uh, for me, is very important, but but uh, Phil is Phil is he's a tough guy and he teaches Zumba okay at Superior Fitness and so I felt like I could I could do that you know this is a tough guy and he's I just I thought that's okay so all day long I through the as I was here in the office all day long I need to get to Zumba I need to get to Zumba but I didn't have my stuff with me so I ran home changed my clothes. And I, I left the house, went to Zumba. I walk in the door, change my shoes, get off my sweatpants, get into the class, and we start with a warm-up song, okay? Now, the warm-up song isn't the tough stuff, okay? The warm-up song is just to get you, you know, sort of acclimated. And a minute and a half into the warm-up song... And I, I only remember one thought. I remember thinking, why does Phil look like he's at such a weird angle? That's all I remember. And I was told from someone that was behind me that I had, I had bent over at the waist. This is a minute and a half into the song, okay? I'm a runner. I love to say that, that's fun. I, a minute and a half into the song, I bent over at the waist and then I just literally went face forward onto the floor. My glasses, uh, and these are the same glasses, dug into my nose. You can still see the scar in my nose. I was bleeding all over the place. I was unconscious. They, uh, they, people let out some, some yells and, and, and everybody's attention turned. And they realized that something was wrong. They thought that I'd had a seizure. My body was involuntarily trying to breathe, so, so I was kind of convulsing a little bit, so that, that, that kind of you know, made it look like I was having a seizure. But then there was a young lady that was there. She said, it seemed like I waited a minute, but she said, I think it was only a few seconds. And I... I came over to you and turned you on your side and realized in just a few seconds that you weren't having a seizure. She said her hands were trembling as she put her fingers on my neck to find my pulse. She said there was no pulse. A teammate later told her, because she's on the golf team, a teammate later told her that my face was already turning blue. All of her training was running through her head. She finally, and, and if you know this young lady, and I'll introduce her in just a moment, but if you know her, she's not a, she's not a loud young lady, okay? Um, she started giving orders to people, okay? And she said to her, her assistant coach, she said, you call 911. And she looks at Phil and she said, Phil, you go get the AED, and she said, I'm going to start doing chest compressions. And she starts doing chest compressions. Another lady in the class started doing rescue breathing at the right time. So several rounds of CPR were administered. And by that time, Phil had got the AED and, and, and you know now they're not the paddles. Everybody thinks they're the paddles. They're not. They're just little electrodes that they stick to your skin. They tell you exactly where to place them. He had placed them there. The machine is reading that my heart was in a rhythm that needed to have the snot shocked out of it. Okay? I don't know the technical term. I'm not a doctor. But that's, that's just basically what it said. And so they made the decision to hit that button. Phil told me I came off the, literally, I was airborne. I was off the ground completely. Immediately, the two ladies began to do CPR for several more rounds. It was a few seconds later, a few rounds later, rather, that they realized that I was beginning to breathe. My chest was rising and falling on its own. When the first responders walked in, they didn't think it was really a severe situation. They walked in with AEDs, and they walk in, and there, there I am on the floor, but I'm breathing. And they, later, one of them came up to my wife at school and said, hey, how's your husband doing? She said, how do you know about my husband? He said, because I was the first one that walked in the door for a first responder and I had my AED in my hand. He said, I'm so glad that I didn't have to use my AED. And she said, they already did. They said, I couldn't believe that it was so, they had it so much under control, I couldn't believe it when I walked in. I woke up a little bit later in the ER. My family was there. I, for some reason, what I remember most is Rudy Evanich, who is a part of Silver Creek Church, and he's also a cardiologist. I've always told Rudy, I don't ever want to be your patient. <laughs> and I'm not, because he's an electrician, and I needed a plumber. But he, I could hear his voice, and he was explaining what had happened to me. Let me give you some interesting facts really quick. The first one is this. I was dead. Okay? I was dead. I have these people that I go see three times a week now, and they're torture artists, and it's called cardiac rehab. And, and I can walk all day and ride a bike all day. That's no big deal. But, man, you get me on that... that whatever that thing is called. It's like a, moving bike pedals with your arms. And I'm telling you that. They love to tell you, oh, it's time to do your arms. That is, oh. And I, last winter, I was doing 200 push-ups a day. And, and I, I love, but I'm telling you, this, it just, that's a totally different world. But they said, you know, Kevin, you, you, were, you were dead. I was powerless to do anything about it. There was nothing that I could do. I could not take one breath on my own. I was dead. Fact number two God provided a miracle for me at just the right moment. You see, I hadn't been to Zumba. I, I'm, I don't know Phil exactly. And when I say Phil, I'm talking about Phil Pennell. He's, he's part of the church and part of the worship team, and, and most of you know him. But Phil, I hadn't been there for like seven months, I hadn't been there since. Um, and, and like the spring of last year, when I, at that point, I was just running then outside. So I wasn't going to Zumba. And I hadn't been there in a long time. Uh, and so I, 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 it w- wasn't like I was there all the time, but I felt the need, I have to go there. All day long, couldn't explain it. I got to go to Zumba tonight. I got to go to Zumba tonight. So I texted Phil, made sure that it was on, found out what time it was. I think it's interesting that an AED alone would not have done the trick for me. I found that out from, uh, from my cardiologist. They said, I needed more than an AED, I needed CPR, in order to, in essence, uh, get my heart back in rhythm so that the AED would work. The NMU golf team that was there that night, they, they were not supposed to be there, that was not a normal part of their schedule. And that was the team that Avery was a part of. And so here I was lying on the floor and a few weeks earlier, Phil had the idea to change the batteries in the AED. Now I don't know if those old batteries would have worked or not. I'm glad I didn't have to find out. I'm glad there were new batteries in it. I want to introduce you to Somebody that was not just there, but really the most instrumental person that God used. Her name is Avery Rochester. Avery, would you just stand so that people can acknowledge you? Here with her. Uh, Julie and Glenn, I want to tell you, I feel like I have a new kid. (laughs) Another lady named Deb Jacobson, I I spoke to her this week. She may be here, uh, second service. I haven't seen her yet this morning. And of course, Phil. Phil, I I, I just say thank you, Phil. (laughs) There were witnesses. That's fact number three. There were witnesses. Phil, that was the, that was the fullest Zumba class I've ever seen. I, there was a dozen or 15 girls from the golf team, and then there was a whole bunch of other people that were there. That was, it was probably 30 people. And I am astounded. I am astounded at how many people know what happened to me. I am blown away. I had people tell me at the hospital, oh, everybody knows. <laughs> that went through the whole hospital. Everybody knows. They, they, Phil, they called me, you're the superior fitness guy. And you know what I said to that? Yes, I am. I <laughs> want you to know that. Fact number four. To my knowledge, not a single person has doubted the story of those 30 people were my story. I, I, st- I pulled a fast one on Phil, I stopped in there Thursday night. And I thought I, st- I got there right before class started, but they started at 15 minutes early. So I walked in and they were already in session. And I interrupted the class. Man, I felt, I felt, it's really a great thing when people grab you by the face and say thank you for living. I got a text from one of the guys in the church and and he's a computer guy and he said, I calculated out your week and where you normally go and and I calculated out your percentage of of your chance of survival. He said, your chance of survival was 4.17% based on where you go on any given week where I know your schedule takes you, the fact that there are people there that know CPR and that there's an AED on the premises. Remember, he thought I went to Superior all the time. In fact, he gave me credit for two hours a week. And he gave me credit for being here two hours a week when there's people that know CPR. Really? My chance of survival was half of what that was about 2%. But on a Thursday night, a Zumba class was the only place that I could survive. That's my story. But let me tell you about his story for a moment. The story of Jesus. Fact number one, Jesus was dead. Come on. He was dead. John chapter 19. Verses 33 and 34, it says this, but when they came to Jesus and found that he was already dead, this is the soldiers that are executing him. They did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. You say, well, why why does it mention breaking his legs? Well, the next day was the Passover, and the Jewish leaders wanted these people off the cross. They wanted this done. And so they wanted to, to make sure that these people died. Sometimes they could linger for days on a cross. So they would break their legs because the cross, you died through asphyxiation. And they had so perfected the torture that your feet that were nailed to the cross, you had to push up on your feet in order to take a breath. So you hung with the nails in your hands and you pushed up with the nails in your feet. and, And the pain was excruciating. If they broke your knees, you could not push up to take a breath and you would die within moments. When they got to Jesus, they did not break his legs because he was already dead. You say, well, you know, that's, that's what the Bible says. I'm not sure, you know, that I'm totally on board with that. What, what does history tell us? Well, let's look at that for, for just a second here. The historian Josephus He writes of the Roman general Titus who had rescued three men who were in the process of being crucified and immediately upon taking them down from the cross, they were all three alive, he took them to get the best medical care possible and two of them died, one lived. We have nothing in history, no historical example of anyone living through a completed crucifixion. Because in crucifixion, you were on the cross until you died, and so when the historians say that g or that that someone was crucified, they literally mean crucified to death. There was nothing else, there was no other option. So we have this strong historical argument that indeed Jesus was. Dead because they took him off the cross. Fact number two, Jesus was raised from the dead by the power of God. Peter is quoted in Acts 2.32 as saying this to his fellow Jews who had gathered in Jerusalem. He said, God has raised this Jesus to life. Let me read to you from Mark chapter 16 and I'll set the scene for you. It's three days after the crucifixion. We have three women heading to the tomb, and the stone they find has already been moved. And here's what Mark writes in Mark 16, beginning at verse 5. He says, As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be afraid, he said. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter, he's going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. The angel acknowledges that Jesus was crucified and he died. And they laid him in that tomb, but he wasn't there anymore because God had raised him from the dead. In his work, the Testimonium Flavianum, the Jewish historian Josephus writes of Jesus. This is not a Bible text. This is a historian that writes, he was the Christ. On the third day he appeared, restored to life. The German theologian Paul Althea states that any proclamation that Jesus was risen quote, could not have been maintained in Jerusalem for a single day, for a single hour if the emptiness of the tomb had not been established as a fact for all concerned. Jesus is not here. He is risen. The crucifixion, the burial, The security of the tomb was overseen by the Romans, and they took that responsibility very seriously. That's why they ruled the world. Fact number three, there were witnesses... 20 to 25 years after Jesus' crucifixion, the Apostle Paul mentions eyewitnesses. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 15, 6, he mentions 500 of them. He said, after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. This could be verified through these witnesses. They saw Jesus. They saw that he was alive. Now, when I tell my story, sometimes if I'm around the right people, because some of y'all like gross stuff, I, I whip out the proof, okay? I, I will either unbutton, or if I have a t-shirt on, I will, I'll show my scar. I have a seven-inch scar. I thought that sucker was 14 inches when I first wore I was like, that's got to, you know, it was, I barely have 14 inches there to actually... <laughs> have one, but, but, but I want you to know when Jesus appeared to his disciples, what did he do? He said, behold my hands, behold my side. He said to Thomas, come on, put your hands in my side. His scars were still evident as proof. Fact number four, to my knowledge, not a single one of those witnesses has ever walked their story out. Back, and some of them had to pay the ultimate price with their life. The Greek word that we read of uh, regarding many convincing proofs in Acts one three it literally means legal admissible evidence as in a courtroom. We have no historical record from the first century that under the threat of torture or execution that any one of those 500 ever recanted their story of the resurrection. I want you to understand that today. You say, man, what are the chances that Jesus could rise? Let me me freak you out a little bit more. The Old Testament records 322 prophecies about Jesus and his death and his resurrection and his birth. Those 322 prophecies, and I want you to understand they were made primarily in the book of Isaiah, but some in the book of Psalms, they were 750 to 1,000 years before Jesus had ever lived. If we just took eight of those prophecies, the chances of those being fulfilled in one man are 10 to the 17th power. You say, how big is that number really? That's the same chance of you filling the state of Texas with silver dollars to a, a a depth of six inches, mark one of them, blindfold your friend, set him loose in the state of Texas, and say, You have one chance to pick out the one that I put a mark on. If we take that those prophecies and we if we raise it to forty-eight. Of those of those three hundred and twenty-two, it becomes one to the five one hundred and fifty-seventh power. Now, I figured something out, and and it, it's really funny because post all of this, and I I figure things out a little slower right now. My wife will attest to that. But I figured out that I've known Avery since she was in ninth grade. Avery was on our daughter Becca's. Gymnastics team. And I, can, I, I can't remember every kid, but I remember her because she was the tiniest one. And, and I, I always used to, for some reason, and, and, and I don't remember her scores, I just remember she was so tiny that on the uneven bars, she, it was a, a bit of a job for her to go from the low bar to the high bar because she was so tiny. What if 10 years ago, she came off the gymnastics floor and she walked up those stairs and she looked me in the face and she said, 10 years from now, you're going to drop dead. Come on. And she says, I'm going to be the one that brings you back. What would you say the chances are of that? I, I would say zero. I wouldn't even give it, I couldn't give it one in anything. I would just say those are zero. What are the chances that Jesus fulfilled all 322 of those prophecies? Imagine. So what about your story? See, we talked about my story, we talked about Jesus' story, but now what about your story? What are the chances? You see, the Bible says that it's appointed for each of us to die. I, I, listen, I am, I am firmly convinced that if God wanted me to be dead, I would be dead, okay? Before that, I'd, you know, I'd, I'd never thought in those terms before. But God had to bring so many things together that, that if he wanted me gone, I would be gone. He had to do all sorts of stuff so that I wasn't gone. You, are you with me? The Bible says that it's appointed unto man, this is Hebrews 9, 27, appointed unto man once to die and after that the judgment. You and I have been given the gift of life but all of us will eventually pass from this earth. Now it may not be popular to believe it but the Bible talks about eternity. The Bible talks, tells us that heaven and hell are both real. The Bible teaches us that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That the wages for those sin is death. Here's the fact. You and I were born dead in our sins. And not only that, but like I was on that gym floor, we are completely powerless to do anything about it on our own. That is a fact. Many people refuse to believe that a loving God would ever send anyone to hell, and I fully agree with that. Because you see, God has been doing everything to make sure that exactly the opposite happens. The same way he did for me. God did everything. He put the AED in place. He put new batteries in it. He put Avery there. He put Phil there, and he put Deb there. Why? And He put me there. Why? Because He wanted me to live. And our loving Heavenly Father has done everything possible so that you and I can live for eternity. But you see, man failed and sinned. And now we're born with a sinful nature. And God said, what do I need to do? And He looked throughout heaven and he saw the best that he had, and he said, I'll give my son Jesus. Because a sacrifice of him will bring them back, will forgive their sin, and put us in right relationship with man. Romans 5, Paul writes in verse 6, you see, at just the right time, while we were still powerless, while we could do nothing, Christ died for the ungodly. In verse 8, God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. This is what we celebrate on Easter. God giving his son as a sacrifice for us. So what if on January 25th, I didn't make it to Superior Fitness What if Avery had skipped practice? What if Deb just didn't feel like going to Zumba? What if Phil had forgotten the batteries? I'd find myself in the presence of God. So what are the chances that God would allow me into heaven? Isaiah says my righteous acts are all as filthy rags. If I were going to heaven on my own personal righteousness, I would be in big trouble. But you see... God sent His Son, Jesus, to die for me. And that's what I'm putting my trust in. That when I stand before God, I don't have to say, God, I was the pastor of Silver Creek Church. I'll say, God, Your Son, Jesus, is my Savior. He's forgiven me of my sin. So today, as we celebrate Easter, I ask you, what are your chances? If God, in His divine wisdom, said today was your day, if it was a January 25th kind of day for you, but the the outcome was different, and you stood before God and He said, why should I let you into my heaven? What would your chances be? Think about it. Would they be 10%? Would they be 20%? Maybe 35? Maybe you're feeling good. Man, it's 50-50. It could could go either way, but I'm in it. There's a shot. Do you really want to get to that day and not know? Or do you want to know? You see, I believe that on Easter Sunday, April 1st, 2018, you can leave this place and you can know that you know that you know beyond a shadow of a doubt what your chances are. You say, Pastor, that sounds like a pretty good deal to me. Man, it's like insurance for eternity. You see, there was, no, there was no insurance that could have helped me. I got good insurance. I mean, I'm blessed. I, I Man, if I didn't have good insurance, I'd be in the poorhouse for the rest of my life after that surgery. But I have the assurance that when I stand before Him, I'm 100% sure that I'll go to heaven not because of what I've done, not because of who I am, but because of who Jesus is and what He's done for me. You can have that assurance. I want to invite you to stand all across this room, those that are out in the hub as well. Would you stand with me? As the worship team leads us for just a moment, what I want you to do is I want you to close your eyes. And I want you to contemplate for just a moment, what are my chances? We'll close in prayer in just a moment, so just hang in there with me. I believe that God wants to do something here today. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me for a moment? As we close out this service today, Easter 2018, I hope you've been meditating on that question. What are your chances? If your chances are less than 100%, I want to invite you today to simply make sure. I'm going to invite everyone in this place, no matter how long you've been in church in your life, or if this is the first time you stepped into church, it doesn't matter. But for the sake of those who would pray this for the first time, let's pray this prayer together to make sure that your chance is 100%. Dear Jesus, I believe that you were born a human, that you lived a sinless life, that you died on the cross for my sin as a sacrifice for me. And I want to make sure that my chances of going to heaven are 100%. And so I ask you to forgive me of my sin. Come into my heart. Be my Lord and be my Savior in Jesus' name. Amen. The Bible says that God hears that prayer. No matter what you've done, no matter how far you've gone from Him, no matter how bad you think you are, God has heard that prayer and all of the heavens rejoice when one person comes to Jesus. My friends, I want to say to you that He is risen.